0: Welcome listeners to A Night of Shreds and Patches, an immersive actual play podcast. This episode features the talents of
1: Ree
2: as Polly Fisher.
0: Drew Mergiewski as Wyatt Fisher. Nick Robertson as GM and narrator. Join us as we follow the Patina, a motley band of traveling mercenaries crossing the land in search of work and resources, combating bandits and wild tech monstrosities along the way. And so, join us for now our tale to yours attaches, to carry hope, a night of shreds and patches.
3: Restore systems online reconfiguring audio connection
0: The air is cold. Wind whips through the trees and towards your camp. You can hear the rattle of bolts and parts coming out of the partially buried garage that you found in the woods, sunk into the side of a low hill. Pally has assembled a lean-to over the open door, but even so, you can see bits and pieces of the project peeking out of the shelter. Quiet, you're crouched next to a low campfire. What's your usual breakfast that you prepare?
3: It's three squirrels on a spit, slowly being roasted over that little fire. The wood smoke
0: curling up between the trees is a familiar sight in the gray dawn of this late winter morning. So as Wyatt turns the spit of squirrels, what does the audience see? What does Wyatt look like?
3: The camera pulls over onto Wyatt and we see him crouched next to, like you said, this little fire. There's a dirty metal grate that's been put over it on two little spokes. So he's got these three skinned squirrels that are laid out, kind of sizzling, the fat dripping off of it into the fire, what little fat there is. And we get to see Wyatt for the first time. Wyatt's a relatively big man, probably early to mid-40s. He's broad, muscular. You can even tell with the large coat he's got on. He's got a large winter coat. bundled up around him. He's got a scarf on. Good, solid leather gloves. And we see his good, solid boots. Everything about him is good and solid. Even as he's he's sitting there, his stance is rooted. He seems to be a man who's like a rock. And you can't really push him. And he won't go anywhere. At least, that's what he looks like. Uh, as the camera kind of pans up, we see he's got a good, solid beard on him. Salt and pepper, turning gray from what used to be probably dark brown hair. He's got little scars here and there on his face but the main thing that we can see is just this big, well-groomed beard that he takes a lot of pride in. He's got sharp features. Even for being in his 40s, he's still got a full, thick head of hair. The hair goes down to his shoulders. He has it pulled back right now, so it's out of his face and out of the fire. We see him working on the fire. The camera pans to the side, and we see that there's a couple metal drums with boards put on them to make a shelf, a counter, and we see that he's got his war belt. It's a belt that's got a sword and a knife and a holster for a big pistol that's shoved in there. But it's all hung up over to the side and he doesn't really need it right now. But he goes back to work it on the fire and work it on the food.
0: And as the squirrels hit that particular note of sizzling that lets you know that they're done enough to kill any worms on the inside, you hear some rattling coming from the garage that you've set camp around. It looks like it was once part of a much larger facility, but that parts of it have collapsed into the dirt over the years, and you all stumbled upon it by accident. And you can hear somebody kicking around on the inside working on something as the squirrel is finished up. Do you bring any breakfast
3: to your sister? I think Wyatt watches her for a second, and he's going to wait to see what she does first.
0: Okay, so we go inside this makeshift workshop. Palomina, you're inside working on the night, this large mechanical combat machine that you and Wyatt had stumbled upon not too long ago. What do you look like and what are you doing?
2: The inside of this garage, it's clearly seen much better days, but it's also clear that somebody has spent a lot of time in here cleaning up, organizing, There are, similar to the shelf that's been put together outside, there's some makeshift shelving and storage crates in here with scavenged tools and parts very neatly arranged and sorted. There's some labels stuck onto things that are clearly not the original labels. It's scrap paper that's wedged into a crack. The rattling is coming from the woman who is digging through one of these boxes of supplies, Palomina, or Pally, as everybody in the group calls her, a very similar build to Wyatt, a broad, solid frame. Her hair has gone fully silver gray and is cut short in a way that looks like it was either done by somebody who didn't know what they were doing or she did it with like a knife and a mirror. It's a pretty rough, short crop. She's looks like she's in her early 50s, maybe about a decade or so older than Wyatt. She's got the laugh lines around her eyes and in the corners of her mouth as we're watching her rummage through this box and mutter to herself about can't find anything, missing parts. There's kind of an air of tiredness to her. One of the more notable features as she's rummaging through is that she has on a denim jacket with the sleeves rolled up to the elbows. And you can see that her right arm is also mechanical. It's a robotic arm. Both of her hands have a lot of scars and scuffs and dents. It's clear that she does a lot of hard work with her hands. She's also wearing very solid, pragmatic clothing, good boots, pants have a lot of pockets. She's got pockets on her denim jacket. I think that we can't, from the angle that we're seeing her, we can't really see all of the night. I'm picturing that it's not standing upright, that it's laying flat. The lighting in here is not great. And so a lot of it is cast into shadow, but she's got a lantern set up by one of the knee joints. And there's some panels that have been popped off and tools scattered around. It's clear she's been working on that chunk of it and is now rummaging around for parts to continue her work.
0: We see the night. this large mech. It looks like it was once the peak of indescribable technology. It has parts that are sleek. It's got ablative paneling, but most of that has fallen into disrepair. Looking at it right now, you doubt it would even be able to function, which is why you've spent so much time with it, trying to get it back into working order. In the dark of the garage, we can see very clearly the internal wiring and pneumatic piping that makes this knee joint function, but the mech itself is still mostly cloaked in shadow you realize that to get this servo working you're gonna need an entirely new actuator there isn't one where the part that would make this knee begin to flex should be and where it should respond to the electrical impulses from the control harness there is a gap that's not something you can work around you need parts
2: And I I don't have any spares in any of my boxes. I am discovering as I'm rummaging around through all of this. What Wyatt sees from the door as he's watching is that Pally finishes rummaging around and straightens up and rakes both hands back through her hair and then just lets out a big sign. is like, all right, well, time for a trip, I guess.
3: Are you talking to me? Oh, hey. I I heard you. I saw you talking. Were you talking to me?
2: No, come over here going have to shout
3: well i'm i'm working on the on the squirrels do you want me to come over there now or do you do you want one of these
2: i'll come to you
3: okay okay
2: Why well, it's clearly having a small crisis about breakfast i will go over there and i will take a squirrel i don't know if we have plates but
3: oh no, no, no. there's no place
2: <laughs> squirrel on a stick
0: the squirrel has been overcooked it's very
3: much jerky consistency at this point it's good we see Wyatt give the squirrel to Pally, and we see him take his, and they both take a bite. And you can see on Wyatt's face that thinks it's pretty good. It's pretty good, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, not bad.
3: Yeah, yeah that's what I thought.
2: Pally pulls out a knife to kind of start <laughs> cutting off chunks so that she doesn't have to try and rip this off with her teeth.
3: The camera pans over again to Wyatt, and he's face deep in this squirrel, like ripping it. And there's a bunch of stuff all over his beard at this point. And he wipes it with his sleeve. So, um... Where's Cass and the, um, you know, Zio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the synth, the the thing, the uh, what do you what do you call him? <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. White puts down. He's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just.
2: They're gonna be around for a while. You're gonna have to get used to them.
3: I know, I I know. And you told me that. And I'm I I'm planning, I'm working on that. And it's just, it's it weirds me out, pal. It weirds me out the way it it looks at us. Like, it, it's thinking and things. It just weirds me
2: out. They are thinking. They're a very advanced piece of technology.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah you're you're right, you're right.
2: <sighs> anyway, Cass and Zeo are out doing some scouting. They checked in before they headed out. Perimeter sweep, I think, but I think they're going to be out most of the day.
3: Okay, that's good, that's good. Well, I was gonna go out and do some more hunting and stuff like that. So um
2: Well, I actually need to head into town. Uh if I wanna get that knee joint working, I need a new actuator and uh we don't have any here. Don't have any parts that I could build one out of. So uh if you wanna tag along on that
3: I mean, yeah, sure, I will. If if you need me to. I mean, I, I thought we talked about not not like going into town and stuff, but we're kinda on the on the run here, Pally.
2: I'm well aware, but we have to go into town sometimes. We're not exactly self-sufficient out here. I want to get this thing working. It's it could make such a huge difference in everything that we're doing. I I think this thing could it could really turn everything around for us out here. And as Pally starts talking about it, her expression just goes into this big excited smile, and she becomes a lot more animated.
3: The camera goes over to Wyatt, and we see that shot where Pally is doing the thing and being all animated, and the camera's on white as we're looking over her shoulder. You see him really stop listening to what she's saying, but just watch her. He has this small smile that creeps on his face. And he goes, okay, all right, I I don't need all the jargon. I don't need everything like that. I'm happy to go into town with you. I'm happy to go. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. All right. You want to drive with me?
2: Uh, I can drive. I usually have to bash that thing into working anyway.
3: I mean, uh, can you drive? I mean, I've seen you drive.
2: I'm a perfectly good driver when I'm in something that has a working engine. Okay. Besides, I need you to give it a push down the hill to get it going.
3: All right. And we see Wyatt go over and grab his war rig. He takes off the sword. The sword is a long sword. It's about three feet of steel and about eight to ten inches of handle. The scabbard is worn and it's been replaced and the whole thing has just scuffed and scarred. But there is the crossguard, which is the most scarred up bit. That is the crossguard he's always had. It's the one that Pally made for him when he was like 22. And it's still on there. But he takes that off. There's a tent nearby and he goes and he puts it in the tent. So it's just his belt with that holster with that gun and a knife or two. Uh, He's like, all right, I'm I'm ready to go. You want to get in?
2: Well, Wyatt was taking off his sword and getting it safely stowed away. She ducked back into the garage to grab a big puffy winter coat of her own, pull on her gloves, nod and hop into the driver's seat, try and turn the ignition. The engine doesn't do anything. There's just no response.
0: It doesn't even click.
2: No, nothing. Tries it a second time, still nothing. Sighs Sighs heavily. By the way, in the Jeep, there isn't a steering wheel. There's just a wrench that's been kind of tightened onto the steering column. (laughs) Obviously, it's a battered, beaten up old Jeep. There are no doors. (laughs) She doesn't fully get out of the vehicle, just grabs onto the roll bar and leans over. The hood also doesn't close fully. So she just takes a wrench, out from under her coat and jams it in there and it bashes a couple things. You just hear thung 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 and then sits back down, <laughs> turns the ignition again, and this time it works.
0: As you slam on the hood, flakes of rust and dirt come off of it. It's more of that dirty rust color than whatever it was originally painted. Whenever you get in, you have to be really careful not to really touch the outside because you're not interested in contracting tetanus if it's avoidable. You are able to get the Jeep Running, it jumps into the passenger seat because once it gets started, you don't want to stop because the engine will stall out. You've had this Jeep running for about a year or so, and Pally to your practiced ear, it doesn't have a lot more life in it. It's getting to be more trouble than it's worth, but it'll get you to town. The wind is bracing. The Jeep skids around in the mud and melting snow as you head into the nearest town. It's a small village nestled in the wreckage of what was once a much bigger settlement. On the edge of a hill coming out of the forest where the Patna is hiding out, you can see the edges of the lake that leads to a beach and a huge inland sea. The town is mostly wood construction, but the two main roads have been shoveled clear of snow. If I could get one detail from each of you about this little hamlet where you're collecting supplies.
3: I got one. It is built on an actual road. It's an old asphalt road. And we can see that the road has been haphazardly tried to be repaved. And it's been repaved and repaved and repaved maybe a thousand times. It's on an actual stretch of road. All the buildings are congregated around that asphalt.
0: The road heads out towards the woods. You're able to pick it up on the path that you're driving the Jeep from. And it turns from rocky chunks to gravel to sand to this... I hesitate to say smooth because it's more patches than original road at this point, but to something that's a lot better than bumping through the mud and roots that you spent the rest of the time here. And it feels pretty
3: luxurious compared to most of the way that you travel. There's that moment where, like, we're like, and then it goes as we actually hit road. And why it's like, that's a good sound. I like that sound. The Jeep backfires loudly and
0: echoes off of the water in the distance.
2: Would you say it's within comfortable walking distance of the beach? Yep. Seaside. Yeah, I think it's basically it's a fishing village, essentially. That's how folks sustain themselves on the rare occasion when they get traders coming through. They are trading fish and anything else that they've managed to pull up out of the water. I think that for a while they were able to like scavenge stuff from their smaller lake here. And then some folks would travel down the river and go diving into the larger sea, but anything that can be easily accessed has long since been picked clean. It just has that general fish smell in the air. There's still a lot of ice out on the water, but folks are still out there doing some ice fishing, chipped holes in there and are getting what they can, starting to gear up for the actual spring when they're able to get the boats out on the water.
0: You can see that Most of the boats have been dry docked for repairs over the long winter, and there's a long, low tank in the distance, a big concrete pool that has, it looks like a crop of eels that's been growing in it over the last couple of months. You drive down this road and pass this smaller freshwater lake that sort of encircles part of this town. And you can see a little river, and I mean little river, like 200 yards maybe, that cuts from the lake through the beach and out to this much larger inland sea where most of the boats will be casting off once the weather warms up. And you roll into town. Pally, you have been here before. I think the whole patina has swung in once or twice trying to keep a low profile. Because like you said, not self-sufficient currently. There are times you need to pick things up. You know that there is a small mechanic shop nestled in this town. He's more of a hobbyist, this mechanic, than anything else. He's an older gentleman who runs this shop who moved to the town to retire. And the parts shop has everything from classic mechanics to some wild tech. And his prices are surprisingly reasonable. We see the Jeep park in front of this low wooden building. There's a single kerosene lamp hanging next to the door in the morning light. The two of you are able to walk into this very cluttered but organized little workshop that this mechanic is running. And he has a gray scraggly beard that he scratches at from where he's sitting behind the counter. And you can see, Pally, that he's fiddling with some little gadget using two tiny screwdrivers. And he says, Hey travelers back again what's broken this time
2: so pally will wave and say hey joe good to see you again ah nothing's well jeep's broken looks back (laughs) towards the jeep which i don't think was so much parked as it was skidded into place
0: it's leaking out of the bottom right now there's a puddle and you can hear it clicking and the shocks collapsing in as the engine cools back off
2: and she kind of regards the jeep for a moment and then turns back and is like, but I think that that might be beyond uh, anything that you and I can do for it. Broken in an
0: existential
2: sense. I think she will kind of walk up and lean on the counter, not like right on top of what he's doing, just resting her elbows on it and be like, what do you, uh, what you got there?
0: Gotta be honest, I'm not completely sure, actually. Uh, you can see it has some sort of little propeller on it, but I can't tell if it was a toy boat or... Maybe a little drone, trying to just see if I can get the engine to turn.
2: Yeah. Kind of, yeah, doesn't... Not very boat-like. That propeller doesn't look big enough to provide enough lift for it to have been flying, though.
0: Yeah, it's a mystery.
2: Where'd you find it?
0: Uh, dug it out of the lake. You know, they say it's all played out, but occasionally I find something here or there. That's why I retired out here.
3: Wyatt's doing that thing that little kids do in stores with their mom. Where he's just slowly wandering around the place, picking up things and looking at it and putting it down and walking over to this other thing and picking that up and being like, what the what the sort is this? And he like shakes it. You
0: shake a box and a piece rattles loose, hits the ground and rolls into the dark where you can't
3: find it and look up real quick to make sure that no one noticed friggin it, friggin it. oh it's this big man trying to like move over and try to find it he's, he puts his shoulder to the frame of the door where it goes through and he's watching them as they do their thing and as they're talking and his foot is doing this stamp 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 like trying to find it in the dark and he finds it and there's a as he drags it across the floor and there's a long pause and they go back to what they're talking he reaches down and he picks it up and you can't figure out how to get it back in the box either. He just puts it in his pocket. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go outside. Um, he says to Pally and Joe, I'm just going to go outside. Is that okay?
2: All right. Okay. Right. Yeah, don't go far.
3: I, I won't. There's nowhere to go. Pleasure to see you as always, Wyatt. You too, Joe. You um, Take care. Be good. Oh, they can't make me be good. And then he turns around and he's like, be bad, Joe. Do, do whatever you want it was an expression, Joe.
2: Go walk around, why? All right, I'm
3: walking around. I'm going. He opens the door.
0: Just a uh, just a barrel of sunshine that guy, huh?
2: He's never been good at small talk or large talk.
3: I'm just fine at small talk. He puts his head back into the place. I'm just fine at it. It's it's just I I'm better when when I when the small talk is stuff like I can I could talk about, you know, not at I'm going to go.
2: Great at eavesdropping. Outstanding. Excellent at eavesdropping.
0: Yeah, I'm gathering that. That's uh, quite a skill. He leads in closer It says, now that the big galumph is gone, it looks up to see if Wyatt can still hear. And there's a moment of quiet. And it looks back at you and says, well, okay, so now that the big galumph is gone, what could I help you with?
2: So, I'm actually looking for uh, an actuator, and she'll go into a more detailed description of size and specifics and the rough make of what she's looking for.
0: We see the two of you talking through this, and he scratches at his beard, and Joe says, Yeah, I think I've got something that can work for that. It's gonna cost you quite a few spheres, though. We haven't had an Allium trader come through in a while, but if I stock up now, I might be able to get more parts in the long run. You understand.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and I- She'll take a pouch out from the inside of her coat. When she opens it up, you can see inside there's just all these little zippered compartments. And she unzips one and it's full of flat triangular discs of various shapes and sizes. Like, nope, not that one. And then unzips the next one and it's full of what looks like ball bearings of different colors and sizes. She cups one hand and scoops them out into there and starts sorting through them with a finger. And is just like, uh, so what are you, what are you thinking?
0: And on that, we're going to cut away. We cut to outside You can hear the cracking of ice in the distance as the temperature rises throughout the day. It's getting to be around noon at this point, and the sun is high. And we see Pally walking back out of Joe's shop. And you have your small box of parts for the night. And as you walk out, you notice that there are three young people leaning against the wheel well of the Jeep. They look to be about 22 or 23, and they have the wiry muscles of hungry wolves in the wintertime. A tall boy with scraggly blonde hair nods at you as you approach. Can I uh, help you load your Jeep,
2: ma'am? Pally, she's been around long enough to recognize what this is, I would assume.
0: Oh yeah, these this is super sketch, and they are not very good at looking nonchalant. They look hungry and up to no good.
2: She slows slightly and glances over the three of them and then will resume her former walking pace and be like, ah, no, that's all right, kids. I've got it. Thank you, though. And is just going to walk straight towards I'm picturing that the one who was talking is basically leaning against where the driver's seat is and she's just going to walk straight towards him because she needs to get into the vehicle, into the driver's seat and is basically playing chicken of like, are you going to flinch?
0: And he does indeed flinch. He is knocked out of your gravitational pull as you move into the driver's seat. But as he steps out of the way, he does get an eye to your box of parts. And he says, well, those parts are probably worth some pretty good money old Joe in there doesn't ask a lot of questions when spheres are involved, I think we'll just be taking some of these for ourselves. To tide us over, you understand. Consider it a local tax.
2: Pally is not going to respond to this until he actually physically tries to take something from me.
0: Pally, you see the fuse box has fallen and detached underneath the hood and really this jeep doesn't need the electronics to run but it does make it easier to start and as you lean over to grab that and try to jam it back into place you see that these other two youths have surrounded you the leader trying to maintain authority in this situation because he was not expecting to just get straight ignored through all this puts a hand on your shoulder and Wyatt, you come walking out of an alley nearby.
3: We see what's happening here from a camera distant. So we see him put his hand on Pally. The camera pans back and a squishy boot comes into the, and just squelches and mud and water comes off of it. And there's a, hey, and there's Wyatt. Wyatt is dripping wet. He's obviously fallen into something. He's got mud all the way to his belt and on his hands to his forearms. Something happened. He's completely wet and muddy, and he looks over and he goes, Hey, yeah, I'm talking to you. Turn around.
0: The blonde youth turns around, his hand still on Pally's shoulder and says, Hey, we're just having a conversation about economics. What are you going to do about it?
3: What am I going to do about it? And he takes one step forward and he goes, Kid, you ain't never seen anything like me. You've never been up against anything like me. I've killed more men in more places in more ways than you've taken breaths in your life. So you gotta think really hard about what you're gonna do right now. Do you understand me?
0: A trickle of sweat runs down his temple.
2: Wyatt is talking and the camera turns to look at this kid who's starting to get a little spooked and you just see Pally's arms come up around behind one of them and just yank.
0: He takes a step forward and away from where Pally and the two other youths were and looks back for reassurance that they still outnumber you. And Pally, make me a brawl check. This one's going to be easy because they're stupid.
2: All right. That is one success. So I think when this
0: guy turns around, they're already slumped unconscious against the tire of the Jeep. How did you knock these two kids out?
2: I think that she just choked them out, just, they're alive. Yeah. They've just been silently choked into unconsciousness with a robot arm. Did you get both of them in the same headlock? I think so. I like that
0: mental image. So this blonde kid turns around, sees his two friends very blatantly unconscious in the mud, sees Pally brushing the dust off of her prosthetic arm, and
3: turns back to Wyatt. And we see that Wyatt is now right up next to him. Like he turns around and Wyatt's standing right there. Wyatt looks down at him and goes, you're not going to do anything. And it's not because I'm going to hurt you. It's because she's going to hurt you.
0: So Wyatt, make me an intimidation check, but you can't have a blue die since both of his companions are unconscious
3: in the dirt. Perfect. That is going to be one success and two advantages.
0: And you have two heartbeats of making eye contact with this kid who is just trying to basically steal someone's lunch money. He wasn't expecting to go against professionals. He just saw two older, tired people trying to get some supplies. You can see these wheels turning in his head. Even before his brain realizes it, his legs are already carrying him down the street. He takes off, not looking back, not even looking where he's going. He trips over some trash and goes sprawling and rolls and keeps going. And it looks like it hurt. Good. You are alone by the jeep with two unconscious kids that you could probably just push over to the side and get going.
2: I think that Pally will grab one each by the back of the collar and, like, drag them up so that they're propped up against the side of the mechanic shop.
3: Wyatt absolutely helps you. He goes over to grab the feet of one of them as you're dragging them over. He goes, you didn't kill them, did you? No. I mean, you're you're sure, right? Like
0: A trickle of blood comes out of the nostril of one of them, but they do appear to be breathing.
3: Wyatt checks and he's like, I mean, we could kill them right now.
2: there's really no reason to. They're stupid kids who are probably more hunger than sense. Yeah, And they've learned a valuable lesson here today. Yeah,
3: you're right. And Wyatt reaches into his coat and he takes out like a stick of beef jerky, breaks it in half and puts it in their pockets, you know, just because I know they're hungry. And kind of puts them off to the side. All right.
2: I think Pally is grinning as they go back to the Jeep. And I'm picturing that when they both hop into their seats, she's just like, you're such a soft touch. I'm not a soft
3: touch. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I'm a mean, angry old man.
2: Big softy. You're you. No, you don't get to call yourself old. I am nine years older than you, young man. Well, and if you're
3: old, then what are you? And that's a good point. I mean, goodness. Uh, do you have, still have teeth? Let me
2: see your teeth. Swats at the back of his head <laughs> <laughs> with the robot hand, so it does hurt There's a little a, bit. Oh gosh! Oh, pal! Oh. To everyone's
0: surprise, the jeep starts up on the first crank. Hey!
2: Ah, at a girl. All right, you keep up that spirit to get us back home. I have to get
0: on
3: push though. Do I have to get on push?
0: You do, but just because the transmission's reverse doesn't work, you just have to push it enough back that you can turn it.
3: So there's absolutely this moment where we inside the car, we both see them go, "Hey!" as it as it turns on, and then they don't go anywhere. And then we see Wyatt get out and go to the front and like push it out of the parking spot. Turn it, turn it.
2: Yep, I'm turning it. I'm turning it. Okay. All All
3: right. No, don't don't leave without me. Don't leave without me.
2: Oh my god! I just told you to get in. Come on.
3: And he jumps in as it's moving. And so the jeep heads off through town
0: it backfires again and these two unconscious youths wake up one of them rubbing the blood from his top lip and they can just see where the jeep was is a small pool of motor oil and a muffler that appears to have fallen off while it was sitting there you could just see in the distance the jeep bumping off of the paved road and onto the gravel and then onto the rocks and then into the mud as it starts to make its way back up into the forest
1: of episode. Commencing end credits. The following information will be placed in the show notes for your added convenience. This has been A Night of Shreds and Patches, an actual play podcast using the Genesis game system from Fantasy Flight Games. The show is edited by Sydney Whittington and features the talents of Drew Merzieski as Wyatt. Drew can be found on Twitter at Worlds to Forge, and is the showrunner for Skyjack's Courier's Call, an all ages actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere, designed by James D'Amato. Ali Grauer as Zeo. Ali can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Dreams to Become. Ali is also a player on and audio editor for Skyjack's Courier's Call. You can support both Ali and Drew by joining their Patreon at patreon.com/whimsyartifice. Ree as Pally. Ree is the GM and producer of The Magpies, a Blades in the Dark actual play podcast, and the owner of Skillcheck, a document accessibility service for the RPG community. Ree can be found on Twitter at Briannon 42 Sydney Whittington as Cassidy. Sydney can be found on our Discord server, which is linked in the show notes, and on Twitter at Sydney underscore wit, Cameron Robertson as Emma. Cameron can be found on Twitter at MidnightMusic13 and on Instagram at Reading underscore and underscore Dreaming. Cameron is also a player on Tabletop Squadron, a Star Wars Edge of the Empire actual play podcast and Nick Robertson as narrator. Nick can be found on Twitter at alias58. Nick is also the GM for Tabletop Squadron, which you can support at patreon.com slash squadron. This podcast features the musical talents of Dora Violet. You can find Dora at facebook.com slash Dora Violet. The official artwork for this podcast was created by Rashid Aldroka, who can be found on Instagram and ArtStation at RashidJRS. You can follow the patina on Twitter at ACOSAP underscore podcast or visit the website www.acosap.com. Until next time, audio offline.